So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. So we're looking forward to a fantastic celebratory episode because 250 appearances at Kingston Park, we're looking forward to celebrating a wonderful win to top the occasion off and I think there's been probably about 240 better matches, potentially even more. It was absolutely rubbish, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it's pretty mildly, really. Uh, I mean, apart from the first I don't know, sort of half an hour or so, where we kind of had territory and possession and looked like we might do something, but every time we got near the line, we just sort of screwed up. And and that was kind of the, the theme of the game, apart from after that half an hour, it was kind of bad for a game more on top. And they were the ones that more like they're going to score, really. I mean, it wasn't a great game from either side. I mean, Bath weren't great by any stretch, but, you know, they had the quality and the ability to, in the end, score what were two very good tries. And that was, in a game like that, that was always going to be the difference. But we beat ourselves. I mean, we can't complain at all. Um, it was just, you know, you can't, you just lose track of the amount of unforced errors and sort of off-the-chart stuff. And that, that's really what did it, really. In a game of five margins against two you know, on paper, I think sort of evenly matched teams. That was, you know, you're already sort of tying your hand behind your back before you can begin when you do that. And it just, it's just too costly in the end. Yeah, you go into these games, particularly as there's been a three-week break and you think, oh, well, if it's a good day here, we might end up with a win. We might even end up with five points. And seven minutes into the match when we had as many points, you think, oh, well, going according to script here. And like you say, we camped out for the next... 10, 15, maybe a little bit more. But we didn't really deliver anything. It was just all pressure. And then we just kind of stopped. And I don't know what it was around the half hour mark, but it just seemed to be the the players weren't thinking about it anymore. The brains had gone. And then mid-second half, you're looking at the pitch thinking, do any of these players actually want to be on that pitch? Just the whole attitude of everybody on the pitch seemed to be completely off. Um, The only highlight that I can think of in the entire game was Radwan's finish for his try, which once again was extremely good a bit of aerobatics but other than that there was absolutely nothing to be grateful for other than scraping a losing bonus point with the last kick of the match after over 70 minutes against a team that were arguably worse than us yeah well I mean you looked at this fixture and you thought that it's one that we really if not have to win you know should be winning really in the grand context of the, of the league and, and obviously our home games in general and just failed, completely failed. Um, but it was sort of a similar pattern with a lot of our home games where actually we start quite brightly, I think. And we do put teams under pressure. And I think teams do often start quite slowly against us. And the thing is, we just don't take advantage of that. Yes, we may get a try or, or a few other points, but it's never enough points because we can never keep that going for more than a, a period or so. And all these other teams are never going to be quite so bad. They're going to get into the game more, and we're not good enough to really put these teams to the sword when when they are not playing well. And that was shown, I think, in its most extreme way over the weekend, where Bath were very, very much there for the taking. I mean, we know we've they've got some good players and they have made some good signings, particularly from Worcester, which you know, in many ways, was sort of the difference in the end. But so be it. But on the day, that they weren't that brilliant. And their league position didn't lie. You know, we know that they have been underperforming, and they were there for taking. And we and it, it, and like I say, we beat ourselves. They were 
it wasn't so much they were any good and yes a couple of tries were, were well worked but we could have we could have been it should have been outside arguing by that point and it just kind of shows where we are at the moment where even against a team like Bath and the way Bath were playing we still can't kind of do the business at home and that's what I don't know, two wins in like 22 games or something and it's, it's it's just ridiculous and it's not hard to see sort of where the where the problems are really yeah, yeah, I guess he could make a couple of arguments that weren't helped by the internationals. Obviously, on the day itself, we were missing the three Argentines, the, the Mats, and then also Sean Robinson still being retained by England. So we're missing four first-team starters, and we'll touch upon that a bit later on. McGuigan on the bench, because I think he'd had a pretty rough few days of it and probably hadn't been in the setup during the training in the week. So it made sense that he was on the bench. But Bath on that note, they were missing internationals as well. And also, I suppose we're missing Greg Peterson, who's obviously off with America. But overall, you just look at it and think, well, yes, we're a club that's playing within our means, etc. That seems to be the rhetoric coming out of the Kings Park, which is, is a very reasonable one, and one that, given what's going on in the press, or not in the press, what's going on in the rugby world over the last few months, it's the right thing to do, obviously. But you look at it and think, well, are our means just going to be an ever-diminishing pool of fans stupid enough to ruin their Saturday afternoons by going along to support them? Because otherwise, where's the money going to come from? Because I can't see fans paying to spectate that. And I know that it's a time of year when contract negotiations come up and all that for next season. And if you're one of the decent Falcons players who's looking to push ahead with your career, are you going to want to play for a club like us that's within its means? Or are you going to want to go to a club where either its means are a lot greater or they're playing with, without their means and able to pay you a lot more and actually have some fun rugby. And you don't actually care if the club exists in 10 years' time because your career will be over by then. But you just want to make some money and enjoy yourself while you're doing it. And right now, who on earth, who's a, a budding international prospect, is going to want to play for us when we're having that rubbish week in, week out? Well, I mean, I guess that's kind of the difference, really, between us and Bath. I mean, both both us and Bath have obviously been the wrong end of the table, similar sort of results, similar sort of performances. But Bath have the ability, have the financial ability to go out and spend some money and bring in players, for example, like the Worcester players, who on the day can make the difference. And, and that and that is, well, the, the difference, I suppose, isn't it? Where either we can't do that or we've chosen not to do that, probably because of financial reasons and amongst others. but. The point is, Bath have the ability and the willing to, to do that. And it, it does make the difference, especially when margins are so fine and you, you are sort of scrambling at the bottom. Just that extra bit of quality does get you the, those all important extra points. Um, and, you know, you make the point about, well, who's going to sort of want to ruin their Saturday and go and watch it? I mean, the message we've been getting from the club is that you know, want to play an entertaining brand of rugby. And I suppose that's all very well. But at the end of the day, I think what we want is a winning ro- brand of rugby. That, that's what gets people in. That's what gets people excited. People want to see their team win. And it's not even like at the moment we're getting an exciting brand of rugby because it certainly wasn't on Saturday. So we're not exactly, you know, we're getting the worst of both worlds here. So I think there needs to be a bit of a step back and a bit of a rethink of, you know, what exactly we are doing here. Because first and foremost, we need to get priorities right. We actually need to start winning games. As I say, I think it is something like two wins in 22 or something like that and it, that's just not acceptable for a top flight professional club I know obviously we are up against it as we've spoken about many times in various ways but it's just surely that's just not acceptable we've got to address that first before we can start thinking about anything else really and that's the absolutely basic bottom line yeah as you just mentioned it was 
I guess the final score wasn't 10-17, it was Falcons 10, Worcester 10, Bath 7, because it was Ted Hill and Ollie Lawrence that scored the tries for them. And I'm pretty sure that had we had Ollie Lawrence even on the bench after Wakaki Cocky's awful injury, which obviously you have to hope that he recovers from pronto, but I'm not so sure he will uh, in a timely manner. Um, I'm pretty sure if we'd had Ori Lawrence now our squad, we would have probably ended up with winning that match because I think he was pretty much the difference between the two sides. Once it got basically to the back of our scrum, there was nothing until it got to the wings. It was There was no incisiveness. It felt very much like last season when we had Orlando out with Indrim. We just didn't really know what to do. It was the, the same rubbish. And there we are. We, we've kept the squad. We're living within our means. But we haven't got the depth and quality to be able to actually trouble opposition defences. Well, that is, isn't it? It's, it's all about, as a professional club, it's your competitiveness, isn't it? And are we competitive at the moment? Well, you know, possibly not. I mean, yes, I know we've had the win against Bristol. You know, fine, that was very well deserved. And, you know, you do win occasionally. But, you know, it, it does look pretty bleak. As I say, that was a game which, you know, maybe not that, maybe not as much was sort of made about it as perhaps should have been, perhaps that was deliberate challenge to play. But it was a huge game because it was a real basement, potentially basement decider. And, you know, we've got to beat teams like Bath at home and, and we haven't. And, yeah, I know obviously there's a relegation and two of the teams are already gone, but we don't want to be where we are. And like you say, you know, in terms of attracting players and uh, if you're a sort of fresher on player of any sort of ambitions, is this a club you want to go to? Maybe it's a club you go to because there's nowhere else or because, you know, you're looking for a professional contract, you've got to be paid it the other day, but is that it? And then that raises other questions about, well, where's, where's your heart lie in terms of a player playing for a team that's, you know, always near the bottom of the league? So, yeah, questions I'd be raising. We've mentioned this before. It's not something which could be fixed easily and it's not something that we necessarily know the answers to, but... You know, we have, like I say, we have to address the basics. And the bottom line is we've got to start winning games and we've got to be more competitive. And that's just, unfortunately, isn't happening at the moment. Yeah, I don't think all the blame can be placed at the quality of players on the pitch because I have to say, I've, I've got no idea what our tactics were on Saturday. Once again, we got back to the, oh, I don't know what to do with it. Let's do an aimless kick to the opponents who are going to probably kick it back with a bit of interest to us or run it back at us and gain ground. It was just aimless kicking. And... We've had three weeks to work out some tactics. And when I went to pick my jumper up from the uh, Falcon shop the week before last, I ran into a player in the car park who shall remain nameless because I don't think it's fair to throw them in the deep end. But I just had a quick chat with them and said, oh, how's it how's it going at the minute? You've got this funny gap, da-da-da-da-da. And he, he basically said, oh, well, we're treating it like pre-season. And we certainly treated that much like a pre-season friendly because there was no real desire to win it. And there's a lot of players at the minute with contract negotiations and stuff. And I'm wondering whether half the players in the pitch are wanting to play for us next season or just, I, I don't know. I don't want to say things I shouldn't, but it's um, very worrying times. Yeah, well, I mean, even not sure players, point of view, you look from a sort of supporters point of view, you know, who's going to, I suppose, who's going to want to turn up every other week to, to watch that? Well, answer is not many people. And <clears throat> like I've said it before, a few minutes ago, I'll say it again, bottom line has got to start winning games. And it was also, I was kind of worried. I know it's very open from Dave Wall just to say, you know, obviously his coaches, well, we got it wrong. But like you say, we've had this three-week gap where to prepare for one game against a team which hasn't travelled well at all, that were very much there for the taking. And, you know, they said, oh, we got it all wrong. And you think, well, how, why, how, how could that happen? 
you know, really. It's, so it's, it's not just betting of the players. It's obviously other things. Well, we know with the coaches, you know, they're, they're new to it and they'll find their way and we have to give some benefit of the doubt. But there's no way about it. That That is disappointing to hear, I thought. I know he was candid and open and credit to him in, in that regard. But I think, again, if you go back to basics, that this shouldn't be happening. And it, But it, the problem is it's happening all the time, every week. And, you know, how, how do we stop this? I suppose there's a million-dollar question. Yeah, that's only about 4,000 there at the weekend, which obviously isn't enough to be viable in financial terms. You need to get more than that if we're actually going to be able to start pushing our budgets a bit. But we've basically missed a massive chance for the last decade of everyone hating Newcastle United and Mike Ashley's era. When that was the time to really start getting the fans in the northeast to start supporting rugby and going along as part of their weekend rituals. But now you look at it and you look at the price at St James's Park and the price at Kingston Park, and they're not massively different if you look at the cost of tickets. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of a difference, but it's not a huge one. Where would you rather go? To watch war flags and 50,000 people screaming their heads off and winning, playing some entertaining stuff, or go to Kingston Park and sit there in the the, the rain that's probably blowing it onto your knees and the whichever stand you're in, if you're in the north stand, you'll just get soaked and freezing cold. And if you, yes, there's the, the people like us that will go week in, week out and sit there miserably and just have a big huff and then waste our evenings doing a podcast. But a few and far between, if, you, if you're trying to appeal to just the average Joe who watches a bit of sport, then they really have missed their chance and then something needs to change. They're never going to get the casual fans in. Well, yeah, there's that goes without saying and also we've heard before about oh you're trying to attract the younger generation or whatever but if you're you know if you're a young kid or whatever and you sit there watching the football win you know four nil five nil every week or whatever and then and you go and then you brought to the falcons and watch that um i mean when we went the other day um we brought some with us who doesn't normally go. He likes rugby, but he doesn't normally go and watch the fall because I think he's been sort of one game in the past a couple of games, the past ten years or something. But, you know, and he, you know, he likes rugby, enjoys rugby. He doesn't know about rugby. Just you know, one of these more casual supporters who doesn't necessarily follow the club game, which we know there, there are plenty of those. Um, and he, he came along to watch that, and he was sort of he was commenting at halftime and commenting at after the match how awful it is, and sort of questioning us. You know, why do we do that every week? And, you know, if that's it, that's the sort of a quote-unquote casual rugby fan, then God knows how they're supposed to attract other people, either like him or people who are even more casual than that. And it is a serious problem because, like I say beforehand, it's all very well saying, oh, yes, we want to attract people with, you know, entertaining rugby and, you know, get people to look at, like, your radwans or whatever and that to, you know, put bums on seats and attract younger generation. You know, the more I see it, the more I disagree with that. And I think it's it's wins, no matter how ugly or however they come, it, it's winning. It's it's paying good money to see your team win every other week. That's that's what gets you excited. That's that's what gets you interested. That's what gets you sort of keen in, in watching and even playing the game. Not seeing that every week. I just it's just self-defeating at, at every level. And I just don't see how they can sort of reverse that at the moment. Um, I wouldn't say it's just wins. I think Win is priority, and then after that, it's making them nice wins, and then after that, making them really nice wins. But at the minute, oh, how did he justify it to your friend that you went and sat and watched that every week? Did, did you have some rational response, or was it just kind of, shut up, it's how I like to um, inflict pain upon myself? 
Oh, no, it was completely irrational. You know, it's just one of those things, say, oh, well, you know, we just do it because, you know, sort of like, uh, no, well, I mean, you can never rationalise these rationalize these things, can you, really? I mean, you know, I think you've got to have some sort of, you've got to have some sort of bit of an insane streak to you, I think, would be to go and watch the Falcons for all those years for most of the time. Um, yeah, but, uh, and, but you know, in a way, that's sort of sad to hear, though, isn't it, really? Um, and I, I guess you are right in that, yeah, you do, you don't just want to see wins, you want to see nice wins and whatnot. But if we go back to the season finish fourth, a lot of those wins were just sort of by a point or two here and there really grand out. And that's when there was the most interest and that's when we got the, the biggest crowds we've had for a long time. So I think, you know, that's got to be the, the start point, really. And I think that if we start winning, then, you know, maybe we can then look turn on the start. But my God, we're a long way from there, I think, at the moment. Yeah, when we chatted to Matt Thompson at the start of the year, um, he was talking about the plans for the extension of the North Sand, etc., and you do think, well, what's the point? Because you can't even fill half the stadium at the minute. Why are they talking about extending? And I know there's conference facilities and all that sort of thing that'll come with it, but it does make you scratch your head a bit. But anyway, that's a, a question for people that are in much more well-positioned positions than we are. So if we move away from ranting about that game, we've got the... Um, we'll, we'll let the uh, RFU off this week. The only thing I can say is, well, they haven't sacked any Jones yet, but you need sacking because another absolutely atrocious game this weekend was England. And we'll start with the whole debacle about the selections and the squad and things. Um, you've got to think, if you if, if you wind back to our previous episode, about three weeks ago, whenever it was, and we're saying, oh, well, I think McGuckin's got a call-up, very good, but we're, we're sad that Radwan and a couple of others were left out of it then. Then you hear that, oh, Radwan's been called up to training camp. Very good. This is looking promising. And then a couple of injuries later, Courtney Laws, I think, still got a concussion. And Sean Robinson gets called up. So you think, oh, well, this is fantastic stuff. This we might end up with three people in the England squad against Argentina and then three on the Argentine side. Fantastic. Brilliant. Wind up forward another couple of weeks. Radwan gets let go. Well, we can make the final 30. You think, oh, well, he'll be a shoo-in to at least get on the bench, probably start. And the next thing you know, he's been released as well, and he's Sean Robinson's left, and he wasn't even in the original training squad. And then we miss out with Sean Robinson on match day. McGregor comes back and plays the last 20 minutes. If I'm honest, I think his head was in a different place. He didn't have one of his better performances. Radwan once again showed that he's a brilliant finisher, but you just look at the actual England starting team, and you had a front row, which was, yeah, it was all right. You had second row with a debutant who I don't think is any better than Robinson. You've then got another second row in a Toji on the blind side, playing out of position. You've got Vunapola, who has been number eight with Sam Simmons on the bench. You've got Ben Youngs at scrum half, who's, we all know, he's probably about the fifth or sixth best scrum half in the country. You've got Marcus Smith at fly half, yep, tick. You've got Owen Farrell, who's a fly half, plays fly half week in, week out, playing at 12, who just dominates um, Marcus Smith inside him. You've then got Tui Lang playing at 13. He's an inside centre. He's no way a 13. He doesn't have the brain for it. And then you've got Cocker Singer on the wing, who he's a big lad and he smashed through for a try, but did he have much else in the entire game? No. You've got Noel on the other wing, who's just got more tattoos than brains, I think, these days. And he's just he's, he's in the twilight of his career and it's quite evident. And there's a number of wingers that are better than him. And then you've got Stuart at fullback. Fair enough, he didn't actually do much wrong. But you look at the whole squad and think, really? Is that the best 15 that England can start a rugby match with? And then you've got people like Singleton come off the bench who, yeah, he's decent, but is he really the second best hooker that we've got available in the country? No, we've got McGuigan who's 
proven try scorer. And you just look at it all, and then the whole game plan was just rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. You thought the Falcons was rubbish. Well, England was rubbish, but with a few more points thrown in there. There was more box kicks, smash up the middle, no plan B. And then we talked about in the past about Falcons specials and giving points away straight from kickoff. I'd love to see a stat of the amount of time between uh, a kickoff after a try, a points being scored, and Argentina winning a penalty because I think it was within about 30 seconds of every single kickoff, someone like I told you just committed a stupid brainless penalty. Anyway, I'll let you talk for it. I kind of ranted for a little while. Well, I think the you know, you talk about any general selection, but I mean, where do you even begin? But he did an interview, didn't he, the other day saying, Oh, I don't pick the best players. And you're sort of like, hang on, you know, you don't pick the best players. I wonder what the issue here is then. Um, and I don't know, where do you even begin with something like that? I, I, I think we thought for a while he's lost the plot. I mean, we're coming up to what, almost 20 years since he, he lost the World Cup final to us with Australia. And there he is, he's still going on trying to get teams to win World Cups, which... You know, let's face it, we're nowhere near going to be charging for the World Cup. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, but, yeah, it's just the same every week. Well, every, well, not every week, but it, get used to the Falcons. But it's the same every time England play, isn't it? It's just the penalties every single game and nothing ever changes. And it's partly because of his tactics. It's partly because he has his favourites, so he picks all the time. In whether they're in the right position or not, whether they're playing well or not, whether they're the best players or not. He has his favourites. He's, he's had for this for years and years on end. Never use anyone else, never experiments. Just brings up-and-coming talent to use as tackle bag holders. And it's it's just a disgrace. And I think the key word of England nowadays is just apathy. Like, I mean, obviously I wanted England to win, obviously. But at the same time, I always thought, think, oh, well... Well, did Argentina one because I had all the focus of players, but two because I think it's it sends a message. Yes, it may go on deaf ears to the RFU because I don't mean just because they're old farts. I mean you know, but um, you know it, it does send a message, and I think and it, in Twickenham there's no atmosphere, it was so subdued and quiet. And I don't think any of this comes as a shock or a surprise. Obviously, you see the statistics: first win in England since two thousand and six. But is anyone really surprised? I mean, this is an Argentinian team which has beaten the All Blacks in New Zealand, can put together some really good performances, really good wins, especially in the past year or so. It's really dangerous. It's got some very good players, and as, as we know, as we see week in, week out, always step up for the World Cups. Of course, they're in our group as well. And like I said, I don't think it's a surprise that England lost today. I mean, you you were supposing they were just about the favourites because on paper they probably are better and we're at home. But I think anyone who follows international rugby couldn't have really said they were a safe bet at all. And it, it, I would say even to set alarm bells ringing, but it doesn't because you know I think the the batteries and the alarms have been well and truly worn out and dead now because it's been going on for years. And it's only it's to be honest, I think it, the surprise thing is this hasn't happened more often actually. Um, and, you know, we've, we've got more of these water internationals coming up where God knows what's going to happen with some of the teams we're up against. Got Six Nations coming up, which, you know, we can't really have much hope or expectation for, considering, for you know, how good, for example, France and Ireland are playing at the moment. And then you've got a World Cup, which, you, you, you know, you absolutely dread. You know, are we even going to get out of the group again? I mean, I wouldn't bet on us to get out of the group. So, you know, it, it's just... 
like I say, the alarm bells were ringing for years and no one, no one's answered them. And we're just going to sort of sleepwalk into this apathy until he goes whenever that's going to be. Could be years from now. Yeah, um, if I look back at the history of England, I think one of the worst results we ever had was Japan beating South Africa in the World Cup seven years ago because as soon as that happened, we were already out by this stage. And basically, as the final whistle was blowing in that match, I was either bar crawled in the circle line in London, but you can almost hear the murmurings in the bar of, oh, well, England needs to get Eddie Jones in. Sure enough, a few months later, 750, 800 grand a year contract, I think he's on. I, I, I'm pretty sure if you put a jug of water in a seat, that would get better results than he's managed to. And it's brought his whole entourage, his emperor's new clothes. No one's willing to point out the obvious that he's, there has been. And since then, it's just been the Eddie Jones show. And yeah, it started, all, started off all right. We got to a World Cup final, which the only, I think the only actual really big challenge in that World Cup was the one where we beat New Zealand. To be fair, we played very well there. Then we got completely outplayed by South Africa. And uh, aside from the Six Nations, which we ended up winning, there's been very little to be actually happy about in the last two or three years. And is it, is it too late now, too close to a World Cup to get rid of him? I don't think it is. But is it going to happen? Not a chance. And next week, well, we will absolutely batter Japan because we just will. They're, they're, we talk about Argentina as a developing country sometimes in rugby tennis, but they're not. They're I think, a fully-fledged first-class rugby team now, but Japan still aren't that. And we will batter Japan. It'll be 40-odd, 20 or something like that. But you think then, hang on, Japan have actually managed to score 20 points here and we've only got 40. That's not a resounding victory. We'll win by about 20 points, but it's not enough to actually hang your coat on and say, oh, yeah, England are back, Eddie Jones is a genius. But... Everyone will do, and then before you know it, we'll be getting beaten the next couple of weeks by other more more quality teams. Well, I mean, the thing with the sort of autumn internationals, I mean, they are at the end of the day. They're just, I know they they they're sort of more is put on them than say football friendlies, but they are just glorified friendlies essentially. And I've always thought you can never tell too much with these because you know, let's face it, if if you won competitions based on autumn internationals, I would almost every World Cup. So you know you. While it's obviously desperately disappointing with England today, um, you know, you can't say for certain that Argentina replicate that and it'll be as bad. But I think in England, for England's case, I think it's just been so consistently bad in the past few years that I mean, there's much room for hope. I mean, with regards to Eddie Jones, to be fair to him, he, he did change things after the 2015 failure. We you know, won the Grand Slam and things were looking very good. And it was a bit up and down until the World Cup and we you know, we lost the final. He should have gone after the final. He, he should have gone then. That was obviously the time to go and they didn't. And now we're stuck with him. And as you say, they're, they're not going to get rid of him. Not a chance for the World Cup. They're not going to do what South Africa did in 2018 and uh, get rid of their Kafka it was, but obviously brought Erasmus in and it was obviously brilliant for them on the World Cup. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen with us. But I don't know. I mean, you're right in terms of obviously they will beat Japan, but a couple of years ago, Japan causes problems. Um, you know, Japan have the capacity to, to score points against us. Um, and I don't think you can sort of read much from the, the Japan game. You know, it's how how would you even approach that as England? I think. I mean, would you? You'd have to. Presumably, they will rotate and play some of the more sort of score players for that. But then, I don't know. I think. But then, even if they do hammer Japan, I mean, like I say, what does that really mean? Anything? Um, it's just. 
Oh, it's, it's just so depressing. The words are going to go swing. And as I say, I think it's just apathy. And that even if they do get some really good wins towards the end of the series, again, does it matter if they have a really poor Six Nations? You know, obviously it won't. So, I don't know. I, I can't see it being much good, I'm afraid. Yeah, that aside, there's actually been some excellent rugby played this weekend. Um, Fiji-Scotland is a pretty good game and um, Fiji had a good stab at it. The, the Ireland match was once again a very good one. And then France-Australia had a fantastic um, couple of tries in that one. And you look at those and you, you just think, oh, well, I wish I was not English and a Falcons fan, but hey, you can't change the way you're born, can you? It's just unfortunately what it is. Hey, but I'm a Newcastle United fan and they're, they're fourth, so we'll just start doing an UFC podcast instead. It might be a bit more fun right now. Things can only improve next week, we hope, but down in Gloucester, King's Home, The Shed, not a nice place to go. Well, yeah, I mean, it's always very, very tough. And, uh, you know, the way we're playing at the moment, well, I suppose the way we're playing at the weekend, surely we've got to up that. I think that's all we can look for, really, uh, is just a better performance. Any sort of points would be nice from that. Um, but, you know, I think when a base level, we have to just up the performance and up our game there to even stand a chance of that. But... I, th- I think that's going to be the minimum, isn't it? I think certainly for as supporters, that's what we want to see. We want the team being competitive away down there. I don't want to any illusions of what difficult task it will be, but, you know, let's kind of go there and sort of hope we can get something really and just try and sort of chalk some more points on the, on the lead table and see where that kind of puts us. But I think we just kind of have to go for it really and see what happens. Yeah, and um, I suppose we'll see Ben Stevenson into the centres and maybe someone... It's sprightly on the wing, perhaps a Steven, Stevens or someone like that. But um, I guess that's one for worrying about this week coming up. Right, so if we just go into the roundup, we'll start off with the Premiership. So on Friday night, Northampton beat Exeter 26 points 19. On Saturday, Sale beat Gloucester 27-17. And we lost to Bath. 10 points, 17, and Bristol lost to Saracens, 25 points to 10. Internationals-wise, Italy beat Samoa, 49 points, 17. Scotland, 28, 12. Wales got their biggest ever defeat by New Zealand at home, 23 points to 55. Ireland pipped South Africa, 19 points to 16. And France beat Australia by a point, 30 points to 29. And then today, Argentina won at Twickenham, 30 points to 29. And there was also a win in there for... The USA against Kenya, where Greg Peterson was playing, but it's not, I can't remember the score off the top of my head, and I haven't got the screen in front of me. If we just look at the, the standings in the Premiership, if we just ignore the number of games played, um, Saracens in first on 38, Sale on 28 in second, Harlequins and Northampton both have 22, Gloucester have 20, Exeter and Leicester both have 16, Bath and Bristol both have 13. London Irish and ourselves both have nine. So if we'd have beaten Bath at the bonus point, we would have been up to eighth with a game in hand over Exeter. And if, if we'd have uh, won that game in hand, then we would have been above Exeter, which I would have taken very, very nicely. But obviously it didn't happen, and there we are, languishing at the bottom. If we go into the local roundup, National League 1, Donington Park lost to Plym- away at Plymouth Albion, 36 points to 24. League 2 North... Tyndale beat Preston 17 points to 12, whereas Bladen came out second best 22 points to 34 down in Sheffield. In Regional 1 North, Annika continuing their strong performance with a 29 points to 15 win over Driffield. 
and Billingham beat Pavia's 60 points to nil. I think that one goes down as our score of the week because um, in the Durham Northumberland Division 3 there's always some big scores, so we'll give Billingham the score of the week this week. Um, in Regional 2 North, we've got wins for North Nova Carlisle, Espadia over Concert, Durham over Middlesbrough, Penrith over Morpeth, South Shields West over Keswick and Percy Park over Stockton. Durham Northumberland won. Ackland beat Pontyland. Darlington beat Novos. Hartlepool beat Horden and Peter Lee. Medicals beat Gisborough. Hartlepool beat Sunderland. And Whitley Bay beat Rockcliffe. Sorry, Whitley Bay Rockcliffe beat Hartlepool Rovers. And that West Hartlepool Sunderland game was probably even worse than the Falcons one. It ended up 7 6. You don't get many games these days where both scores are below uh, double figures. And then in Durham Northumberland Division 2, victories for Ashland over Sedgefield. Uh, nils each, it says Barnard Castle CM. I'm not going to believe that. Um, Bishop Auckland beat Brighton. Gateshead beat Redcurve. Whitby beat Walls and Unwin Leighton lost at home to North Shields. And in Durham Northumberland Division 3, Blythe lost to Seton Carew. Dalton Park Elizabethans beat Pro Stocksfield very heavily. Um, Drovians lost very heavily to Gosforth. Uh, Away walk over Second over West End and Yarm lost at home to Houghton. Right, goodbye everybody. Bye everyone.